Welcome to Behind the DM Screen for whatever month this is. August? Are we still in it August? It is August. It's, it's almost, it's almost <laughs> September, but it's still August. We were originally going to record an episode at uh, Gen Con, but never could sort of make schedules happen. So we didn't, and now we're doing this here now. Uh, behind the DM Screen is three DMs getting together, talking about their games, and helping each other out. That's the introduction. I suppose I'm first, and I should go ahead and put me on the clock before I start talking, huh? <laughs> sure. Sounds like so, a good plan. So, so that's a thing. Clock is set. All right. Uh, so I'm first because I was last last time, whenever that was. I didn't. That I put, sounds fair. I don't put dates on things, but Mike insists it was like six months ago. <laughs> that's, beca- that's because when you go to Gen Con, you go through a time, know, time right. dilation and everything really feels do. forever ago. Um, so, uh, I've only... It happens ru- when you do a PhD, too. Yeah, that too, right? <laughs> um, I've only run, I think, one time since the last time we played, or that, since the last time we talked. I talked about sort of starting my Eyes of the Lich Queen 4th edition, you know, last Harada 4th edition campaign. Um, and the first session went pretty well. I talked about sort of the, the group template, the team template sort of ideas that I had, and uh, them getting their butt kicked by the dragons and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, second session, uh, everybody was able to come pretty much except for the the guy who's, who, whose character is always the leader of the group. Dope. All right? He's also the same guy that I've mentioned before who sometimes um, rejects me trying to, you know, collaboratively tell stories and stuff. Um so, How dare you change the damage up of <laughs> monsters? Right, that that kind of stuff. Um, so he wasn't there, but it actually—I mean—the whole thing went okay. Like the the storyline or whatever doesn't rely on one person being a leader um, or anything like that. So somebody else steps into the role or whatever. And honestly, I think that's that's a good thing. There's no reason that the one person, the one player, always has the character who ends up leading the group. Um, I think it sort of happens that way largely because of the personality of the player. Like it comes down to a point where he just says, look, we have this option or that option. This is the one I'm doing. You guys do what you want. Okay, well, he's in charge now, right? He's making the decisions for us. That's interesting. So how did the dynamic change when he wasn't there? Um, it's a little bit more collaborative, I, th- I, th- I think. Um, and I don't know that there's I – don't, I don't remember that we had like the big debate moments, right? Big stuff happened and they just sort of absorbed it and said, oh, okay. And they were maybe a little more, I don't know. There was less strategizing, a little less of that going on um, anyway in the session. So Mm. we'll have to see how that plays out. And I might try to um, encourage other people to take on some leadership roles, not, not to, you know, dictate who's going to be the leader or anything, but just, you know, the NPC can, can approach other people instead of Mm -hmm. just always default to him as the leader. I'm just curious to see how, how it would play out. In any case, we ran. It went well. We in two sessions we finished the entire first section. Like uh, Eyes of the Lich Queen is broken up into four four parts, right? We finished all of part one in two sessions, which is fifteen encounters, which is I th- wow. I thought pretty impressive for fourth edition, right? To do how many sessions? Two sessions, fifteen encounters. Wow! Right now, how in, much time? Uh, we run six yeah. to each, seven hours. Each a session. session was yeah. twenty three. Twenty two hours. hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. No. Six hours. Six or seven hours. Probably closer to six. Um, it was. I mean, the way the adventure counts encounters, though they're not all combat encounters. 
So bear that in mind also. Some mm-hmm. of them are, you know, traps or whatever. So, um, or puzzles or role-playing opportunities in some cases or whatever. But still, 15 encounters, two sessions. I thought that moved pretty quick. Um, and I, yeah. was pretty, I was pretty happy with the way things went, which is good because now 5th edition is coming out and I have two completely distinct and interesting campaign ideas <laughs> for the next story I want to tell, right? Um, so I'm like... I've got all these ideas. I'm in the middle of this thing. Ah, we should finish mm. this up. Although I'm still really interested in sort of what we're running too. So I don't want to abandon that. Uh, I did do one thing sort of interesting in that session where um, there were complaints after the first session that people came to the second session and said, hey, what happened last session? It's been like a month. It's like, it's been a month. Yeah, but it's only been a month, right? You guys talk about it. Figure out what, what happened. Like, <laughs> Yeah, but we're, where's the newsletter? We're used to the newsletter. <laughs> really that was a one time sort of campaign thing okay fine so after the second session I wrote up a newsletter again because they seem to like it and I, I integrated this like if you read it between the lines of the of the newsletter it's actually the same author from the previous campaign mm. in the Nintir Vale I just sort of made a story where and he you know fell into a portal and ended up somewhere else <laughs> um, you know and, and he's not like it, he's a fun character because they they worry about him because I place him in the real world, but he's not really somebody that they ever interact with. Like the newsletters just appear in their packs. They never know how they got there, right? It's one of, not, it's one of those mysteries that you know maybe someday I'll explain it. I probably never will. It's just something that ha- that happens and it works. And he's on the same boat as them. And I'm just going to make it work out so that anytime they go looking for him, they just can't find him. He, you know, oh, I just saw him. He was in the other room, and then they get there. Oh, he just left a few minutes ago. Like they'll never they'll never run into him. Um, you know, it's just this fun little quirky thing. And they they even worried at one point because um, it, when we were doing Return to the Temple of Elemental Evil with him, he was writing about what they were doing. And they're like, this newsletter's out there talking about what we're doing. Like now all the guys we're going after are going to know our yeah, plans. Right. Yeah, I didn't, you know, no, well, maybe they do, These maybe are, they don't, whatever. It's not, it's, it, it's sort of this weird meta thing that's also placed in, in story, right? These are, these are different characters though, are they? Yeah, completely different characters. So the only person that's consistent is him. Yeah, exactly right. No, I, I feel like, um, I'll just keep bringing it back for all my campaigns and he'll be sort of the narrator of everything we do. So maybe he's God. Uh, yeah, I've considered some different ideas on who he is. He might be a god. He might be some sort of weird demon prince who just gets kicks out of following these guys around. You know, he could be lots of things. Hmm. I was thinking more in line of the uh, sort of old basic D&D immortal idea. Yeah. You know, like he's not necessarily a god, so he's not interested in, in affecting what's going on. But maybe he's some sort of immortal who got bored and just goes around following people who are doing interesting things and – you know, well, writing about it. And he kind of talks about in, in the latest newsletter that they haven't even really seen yet. Uh, he talks about how he he's kind of stumbling into all of this, right? It's completely by accident. Like he's not even intentionally doing it. I sort of see him as as almost a, at least now that we're talking about it, I see him a bit as like a bumbling watcher from the Marvel Universe. Mm. He's just this guy who always happens to be around watching the big important things. Yeah, but, sure. But, but he doesn't even know why he's doing it or how he does it. You know, mm-hmm. he's just always he just always happened to be in in the right place at the right time to chronicle these things. And it's kind of fun to leave it. Yeah, just leave, just leave it at that. It's a mystery, right? And right. they want they mystery to you too. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe I'll figure it out someday. I've had ideas about how he does what he does, but maybe it'll never work. It won't matter. Right. You know, who, right. who knows? Yeah. Uh, so that's where I, where I'm at. We finished section one. We're all, moving on to section two. Section two. Um, section two has a sort of uh, Indiana Jonesy. Uh, travel montage thing going right. on. Uh, the whole right. thing feels very Indiana Jones in a lot of ways to me. 
Yeah. Uh, which and is which one of the is, reasons I ran. Yeah, and that's part a big part of Eberron, right? Eberron's supposed to have sort yeah. of that pulp. Yeah, absolutely. The and so this one, th- this one is um, the next part we're getting into is, hey, so at the end of part one, you've all been um, given these weird dragon mark things. Like mm-hmm. the, the resonant energies of this room where you fought the final battle in, in the dungeon um, infected you all with these weird ma- dragon marks. And if you had a dragon mark, it changes the shape. So it's, it, you know, it still has the same abilities, but it just looks weird now and it's different and whatever. And you, re- you take this information back to your patron and he's like, oh, that's really strange. Huh. It's kind of like a couple hundred years ago when some people went into the jungle. Maybe they went to the same temple. Who knows? And they came back with dragon marks and they all were dead within a year. that's odd yikes right and so that puts a little fire under him right although he says there is one guy who survived you should go totally find out what happened to him and how he survived yeah (laughs) yeah maybe we should maybe you could survive too right and so that's that's you know he's like i chartered this ship it's not your ship but i've chartered it so it'll take you where you want to go so that means you know they're not gonna the crew's not gonna uh deboard with you and help you fight battles or anything but it's a way to get from place to place. They're going out to the Pirate Isles, the what, Lazar Principalities. That's what it is. Hmm. You've spent some time out there, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. We had a uh, – I had a whole campaign there. Yeah. So so it's a, it's all about um, sort of hunting around and picking up clues and finding, you know, oh, there's a journal of a guy who went looking for this other – who the, the survivor guy's tomb and he supposedly found him. But the, we got to find his journal. But the journal references certain things. So we got to find a map that matches up to that. And then it's uh, – now we go to the mysterious, you know, jungle island or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. so, so it's – again, it sort of follows that pulpy uh, Indiana Jones idea. Hmm. So, so that's sort of where we're going. Um, I'm a little nervous about the next session because I haven't had time to read. <laughs> there are reread of the next section, right? Um, as we were discussing um, before the recording, uh, I've just, as of like, what is today, Thursday, as of three days ago, started my first real class of my PhD. So um, I'm swamped with reading that isn't D and D stuff. <laughs> So I have to figure out how to fit some of this into my um, my routine a little bit without falling behind in other areas. Uh, but anyway, so that's that's where I'm at. That's where we've been. Um, it has been a month since we've played. Uh, we're playing again this weekend. It's also Labor Day weekend. I was surprised when everybody RSVP'd that they could come and then was not surprised earlier today when one guy changed it to, oh, wait, never mind. I can't come. <laughs> so, um, so it will be short one person. I still kind of wish we had like one more player because when we're short one person, we're a fairly small party, you know. How many? Three? Um, let's see. One, two, three. We got the two Gregs, the Rob, Dirk, and Andy. So there's five of us. So if one person's gone, we've we got a party of four, mm. which is doable. Um, and I mean, obviously, we we did it last time. They defeated a dragon, and you know, oh, and whatever, right? They got through all that. Just how is uh, how's fourth edition feeling? It's fine. I mean, it's it's it doesn't maybe because of the circumstances surrounding you know right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I'm playing fourth edition, and and I kind of expected it to be one last hurrah, you know, go back home one more time, the thing that we've been doing and loving for the last, you know, half a decade. Um, and it and it feels a little bit less that way. Like, it feels very comfortable. Like, I'm not having to think about adjudicating everything. It's very natural. Like, going to 5th edition for a while and coming back to it has not 
change the, it does not hurt anything right and what uh, levels what levels are these all at uh, so at your recommendation i started them at four instead of five which is sort of where the adventure originally recommended right mostly right. to try to keep it fast mm-hmm. um so and that's that's you know it sounds like it seems like that's working fast. If anything, I might try to even speed things up a little more, turn some of the dungeon crawls into something a little shorter, just because yeah. I'm anxious to get to the next thing. Yeah, so. it's interesting about dungeon crawls. I've, I'm I'm not sure. I mean, you ran Temple of Elm. Well, you ran the third edition Temple of Elm on Elite, right? Or, which is like a massive dungeon crawl. It is, I guess. Yeah, it's got like 200 rooms in one of them. Yeah dungeons yeah and, and i'm thinking like there's a few spots in where we're going right now there's not any huge dungeons in um eyes of the lich queen there's one sort of like go into these mines under you know whatever under crypt sort of thing uh going on but a lot of it is designed to be hey you can sneak around accomplish your goal have a couple of fights and get out it doesn't have to be a massive dungeon crawl mm-hmm. uh, i'll be curious to see if they actually do that because they don't always have a history of doing that. So right, right. I'm half tempted. So moving into a diff- slightly different area, unless you guys have more questions about Eberron and Fourth Edition and Eyes of the Lich Queen. Mm, oh, uh, what character? Remind me what character limitations you put in place, if any. So I told them. Uh, so fourth level, I. Most of my limitations weren't limitations so much as a list of here are the common races and things. Um, so if you're playing anything outside of that, we need to have a conversation because that's really rare and unusual. Like one mm. character is playing a deva. Mm-hmm. Well, Eberron doesn't have the normal sort of connection to the planes, right? Yeah, right. So, so playing or a deva, gods, yeah. I mean, that's a thing, right? That's that's unusual and rare. And so we had to have a conversation about how that would work. Mm. Um, and that's okay. And I, and, and I don't mind that. I tried to do more. I know we talked about this when I did the you know, couple sessions, a couple recordings ago. I tried to do more of the encouragements, right? Mm-hmm. If you tr- build a character that is designed to fit into the setting in the story, then I'll throw you a bonus feat or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I did more of that, and for the most part, people were on board. You know, they were looking. For, you know, I, I told them if you did essentials or if you did um, an artificer, because that's a very Eberron thing, right? Um, and, and that kind of stuff. I, I gave them a bonus feat. So mm. it was either it was like a bonus feat or something else. I remember it was it was one or the other. Is what I gave them. Maybe a stat boost or something. That's cool. But yeah, and so that worked pretty well, and most of them were on board, and a few of them, you know, that didn't, you know, would have felt restricted by that. They had a, an idea in mind. They did that that other idea. I did kill one character in the first session. I remember telling you, mm-hmm. and um, the player who died had a backup character who wasn't intended to be his. It was supposed to be for somebody else who didn't show up that day. Mm-hmm. So we ended up playing that character. Which is fine for the group, and the, it works really well for the group, and it works really well for the story. But I don't think he's really interested in playing that character at all. <laughs> like, he showed up mm. at the next session with a new character saying, can we kill this guy <laughs> off? I, I want to do this thing. <laughs> and it's like, but he works, and he's the leader. Like, he's, he is the only healer we got, you know? And, um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to sort of sort out how to deal with that. But we'll see if he, how, mu- how much he sort of comes to enjoy the character or not uh, over time. I think he just doesn't... I mean, he's, he's my min-maxer, right? He likes to do the damage. He, mm-hmm. was, he was the, the, the twin-strike ranger in the original 4th edition campaign, you know? <laughs> so, so the idea of him playing a leader, I think, chafes him a little bit. Interesting. He's doing a Warforged Artificer, I think. Yeah, a Warforged Artificer now. And I don't think he's interested in it. I think he wants to play his, um, his Shardmind Scion. Oh God! <laughs> right. Oh, God. Those are those are two very different characters. Oh. Yeah, well, yes yeah, and no, right? The, the, but they both have this a, whole. This how about a human concept. fighter? 
<laughs> but yeah, that's, that's not of, this player. So. You know, a leader is just a very, you know... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's if you if you how do I put this? If you don't want to play the leader role, you're gonna suck at it. Not just innately, not because you might suck or what, but just because in any character, if you're not extremely interested in it, it just kind of gets dull after a while, you know. Yeah, and, and so having it, the leader have that person, yeah. that's that's really bad. And so far, he's he's like I think he there's a level of it because he's also like he enjoys the story, but he enjoys. Finding, you know, he's the mid-maxer, right? He enjoys finding the combinations that, like, break stuff. Um, and he's found some great ones with this artificer. Like, he does some really broken things constantly. Like, he's got an at-will power that just gives everybody massive bonuses to damage constantly. Uh, as long as people hang out near him, like, they, they always get a plus five to damage or something. Uh, you know? <laughs> um, so, yeah. And, and so I think he's enjoying, like, that reaction that I gave him. was like, you know, stop breaking the game, you know? Um, he's in, he enjoys sort of getting that, that rise out of people, but he's just not interested in, in playing that character, you know? So we'll see how it plays. You know, you, you could give him something that gives him in a much increased crit range and just send him over to Mike's game. Don't <laughs> <laughs> get me started. Anyway, my time is up. Uh, before we move on to Mike, however who hopefully in this amount of time has figured out what he's going to talk about. I have no idea. It is time to talk about Noble Knight. Noble Knight is a brick-and-mortar game store with a great online store that specializes in finding the out-of-print and new games. And today I'm going to highlight for you a new product. You may have heard of it. It's called the Player's Handbook for 5th Edition. What? Yeah. I, what? Wait, it came up wait, with a new what? edition? Yeah. There's a new edition? There's a new edition. Oh, man. And Noble Knight has the player's handbook for $10 off, which is not bad. Wow. That is. So there you go. Uh, $10 off the fifth edition player's handbook from Noble Knight. Check them out. And maybe while you're there, you can buy, you know, all the other old edition uh, player's handbook. I bet they got most of them. It is apparently their most popular title. Is it? No, they yeah. Are. Well, it, it, it is that time. And, and for good reason. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, it's, I mean. <laughs> when you order it from Noble Knight, tell them that the Tome Show sent you. That's right. <laughs> tell them that the Tome Show sent you. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, even Saturday. Noble Knight is a brick-and-mortar game store. Support small businesses. That also exists online open 24 7 on the web they have D&D and other cool rpgs any edition any game even out of print products and at a discounted price that's out of control have a bunch of old game products collecting dust dangerous allergens and we're back mike you're up time starts now go all right well i since our last session i finished my 13th age campaign uh with lots and lots of dragons which was fun. I'm not really going to talk about it because I wrote an entire article on, on Sly Flourish. I'm going, to, I'm going to pimp that instead. So people should go to uh, slyflourish.com yeah, and an totally read about that. 13th Age Session Review, There Will Be Dragons. And did, just, just give us a, a teaser here. Did they win? 
Yes, they okay. won. Okay. They succeeded. And they, yeah, it was a nice big epic decision at the end. They had a big choice to make. Do they, they knew that the green, which is one of the three major, uh, uh, you know, one of the Aspects? five major dragons had oh. been entrapped in a obelisk. And they had a choice of bury the obelisk in another plane of existence, destroy it completely and, and taint the world, but get rid of the green or release the green. And they ended up releasing the green. Mm. And then the fun bit that we did after that is everybody – I think I, I – I don't know if I put him in here or not. Uh, yeah, I did. Uh, everybody then wrote a – like five years later what happened. Mm. Oh, that's cool. And that way each of them got to say like this is what my character did you and know, they, five, and, years, and five they, years after the green got released. They all bought into that? Yeah. So I think, every, I think I got a write-up from – I think I got a write-up from everybody except Michelle. She never wrote your, hers up. Your own wife. Yeah. She you kept saying, oh, I'm waiting for the other people. You couldn't get buy-in from your own wife. Hopefully people will tweet her and say, hey, I want to hear what happened to your character. There you go. Um, but that was – at, at, at Rosa Moonshadow, right? Rosa Moonshadow at Twitter. There you go. Everybody um, harass her for her write-up. Oh, yeah, how about not harass her? <laughs> tell her that everybody the Tome Show sent you. The Tome Show said you should do your write-up. Yes, oh, they, she'll, she'll love that. That, that, yeah, she's, she'll, I'm sure she'll be very excited. Be, be very polite and kind. She's a wonderful woman. Exactly. So uh, I have been playing a lot of 5th edition. So I played a ton of games at Gen Con, and a lot of those were 5th edition D&D. Mm-hmm. And most recently, I have done, God, I think I now have four semi-regular home games. Because uh, I, I, I was kind of in a mode where I, I felt like I was losing players in my regular Wednesday game. And I said, like, well, I need to keep that going. So what I'll do is I'll start up a game at the local game shop nearby, and I'll meet people there, and I can I can you know run a game there, and that'll be fun. And I'm running one for my family, uh, for my for my brother-in-law and my niece, and then some other friends. And then we kind of forked that one when they couldn't show up, but the other people could, and we started playing the Fandelver adventure. And now they want to finish that one out. So now I've got like. Oh, and, Jane, and James Intercasto is part of that group. Right. From, from the round table. From the round table, Which, yeah. if you're not listening to, you totally you should. should be. It's really great. Yeah. Um, See, the, to- the Tome Show did send him. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. He showed up. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so I'm running a ton of 5th edition games. And, yeah, I love it. Like, it's a great, great system. And we're having a lot of fun. Uh, I'm running both. I've, I've run the hell out of the Pandelver adventure at this point. I think I'm running it one more time, and then I'll probably have exhausted that okay. adventure. Outside of the fact that you've run it a thousand times, yeah. How do you think? Of the, what do you think of the adventure? I think it's great. I think I think it's you know I think the beginning of it starts off with a very typical traditional. Hey, you're protecting a wagon full of goods, mm-hmm. and go into this goblin cave and go fight some goblins. And hey, look, there's a bugbear, mm-hmm. uh, and then opens up into a much more open ended. The, the the middle two parts are very open ended and lots of exploration. I've now run that part a few times and they've been different every time. That's awesome. And and they leave lots of room for me to kind of add fun things. So there was one part where they never met the the woman who's part of the Zinterim, and there was another one where she was like this crazy, you know, crazy woman who was, you know, murdering people and throwing them in the briar bushes that you know, the blood the blood vines that live behind her house. And that all kind of just spontaneously came up during the session. That's cool. Yeah. So, and then the second, yeah, then the last one is back into the dungeon again and it's kind of a big dungeon and that's actually dungeon crawls are kind of, I'm still pondering dungeon crawls because the idea of going room to room to room, you know, I don't know. It's, it's weird. I I have a hard time. On one hand, 
on one hand, there's a lot to be learned from fourth edition dungeon design because most dungeons were like four or five rooms. Four rooms, yeah, right. And I guess I'm used to that, right? Like I've done that for so long now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I don't know. Like a lot of the adventures that I ran had more, but I would end up turning them into four rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's odd for me to go to these kind of big ones again. But there are lots of you know, it's fun, and you can throw lots of traps, and you know, I can always add stuff in. Um, and it's also interesting when they circumvent a dungeon. So more than once I've had them miraculously pick the right way and go straight to the boss and then have to figure out how to get back out again after they've already picked up the boss. And that's, that's kind of fun, you know, not worrying about, oh, you've got to do A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. There, there's something in particular about 5th edition. This is something I really love about the system. And for a guy like me who tends to obsess about, about you know, balance and stuff like that, uh, I, I don't care nearly as much because the battles are so fast. Mm-hmm. So it, 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 it means that I don't have to plan a battle. I don't have to set up a big encounter. I don't have to spend a lot of time building this like big set piece. Yeah. They, if they have a conversation and get around it or they skip it entirely, that's fine because even if they do run headlong into it, the battle's not going to be much faster than the, you know, it's not going to be much slower than the conversation. And you, and you don't, because battles are so quick, you don't feel like you have to make every battle like so awesome. Right, you know, right. not everybody has to blow. Every, not everybody has to, battle has to blow the doors off because yeah. you're going to have six of them tonight, right? Right, and then, and then because I didn't put all that work into it, if they don't do it, it's no big deal. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, right. so one thing I find is is the balance now between uh, exploration, uh, interaction. You know, the three pillars of fifth edition, right? Exploration, interaction, and combat. With fifth edition, those are really balanced. Like the amount of time that you'll spend on each of those is is about can be equal. Yeah. And uh, now the hard part is that means I, I feel like I'm doing a lot more work. Um, <laughs> and I actually rely much heavier on published adventures than I did because they can get through a lot. Like I've had them – I ran each of the four Fandelver sessions in four-hour sessions. And the first one and the second one were under four hours. And then the third and the fourth, we had to go quick. Are you going you know, to end up? Get, are, you, are we going to get so much of your take from from about fifth edition in this recording that we're going to hear all the same stories again? Uh, was no, it next week when we? Okay, no, player handbook. I got all sorts mm-hmm. of thoughts. Okay, good. So now, you know, mainly talking about the adventures. Um, so I'm, I've been in a lot of Fandelver, and now I'm running Horde of the Dragon Queen. Mm-hmm. And the odd thing there is, I'm running that both for my home game and for the D and D Encounters store game, mm-hmm. which is kind of fun because it means if I screwed up one place, I can go fix it in the other. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also a little it, – it's also very interesting because the, the groups are doing it differently. Um, but it's also – I worry about it because it's like am I going to get bored of what I'm running because it's kind of the same stuff. But mm-hmm. so far that hasn't been the case because I've been hanging on with a loose grip and letting the group really decide what they want to do. Um, and we haven't – I've only run one session of of each. And it's not like – it's not even part one. It's like a quarter of part one. So here's here's my question. You've been you've run Fandelver and you've start you've started to run Horde. Yeah, right. Um, one of my fifth edition concepts is I, I kind of want to run both. Sure. Can I run both with one group? Is there a way to sort of uh, well, tweak it or whatever to make that a, make that a thing? Sure. I think you're going to have to tweak it pretty hard though, because the end of Fandelver they're almost fifth level. Or right. They might be fifth level. Right. And so can, can I can I hold them back to fourth and then you know sl- slow their progression for a couple levels in Horde and make it work out? You might just have them rip through the first part. So there's a you, yes, the answer is yes, you could, and particularly because the amount of experience that they earn in the first couple of adventures will be way less than it would be enough for them to level. So 
you know, they would eventually even out. And if you consider that both of these adventures go up to level 14, they'll eventually be at the right level range. Okay. Um, now, you know, you could just have like a lot more cultists and a lot more kobolds in the first in the first stuff. Just keep throwing more guys in there. Because the nice thing about 5th edition is you don't have to worry about the balance. Uh, yeah. Well, you, you, low level monsters are still a threat. You just give them, you just throw just more, more of them. Yeah, but even so, if you even if you didn't throw more, it's okay to let the party mow yeah, through. Let them, yeah, stop, let them be know. the heroes. Just, yep. Yeah, they and then and then when they you know when they do find something that's challenging, it's like whoa, whoa, back up, you know, hold on. We, now we, we now we gotta slow down. This. Yeah, exactly. Stop, things just got real. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you might say like, okay, when they face off against that one NPC who challenges them to a duel, you know, um, they, they just they just beat him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sure. I'm I'm a long uh, ways away from that happening, but I'll. I'll Sorry to take up extra time. But, like, one of the things we're figuring out is that druids, and this is a player's handbook discussion, but druids with shape change are way more powerful than their compatriots at, at low levels mm. because they can shape change and get a lot of extra hit points. And then when they lose those hit points, they come back with all of their regular hit points, too. Right. So I've heard that druids are kicking this guy's ass. Oh, okay. and, and it's because they have, like, twice his hit points. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's certainly, you know, it's certainly something that can occur. Uh, that happened just, in the playtest too. I had a pretty skilled player who was playing a shape shifting druid, bottom. and he just he just kicked butt all the time. Yeah, I'm worried about that. But that's a player's handbook conversation. Okay. Yeah. I'll be curious to see how that uh, plays out. And so, I have some, you know, I have some oh, other oh, players' handbook questions too, but we'll save that for yeah, next week. My every group that I've had so far that's played fifth edition, both in Fandelver and this, has had a great time. Cool. All right. And that ends Mike's time a while ago. So we will move on. <laughs> we will remind people at this point that if you want to support the show, besides shopping at Noble Knight and letting them know that the Tome Show sent you, you can also head over to thetomeshow.com and find our affiliate links to dndclassics.com and Amazon. Do your shopping there. Cool. Sam, you're up. Sam Go. All right, so I have two games going, and you've heard a bit about both of them. One of them is my fifth edition game, where I am running them. Uh, they were they had been in Dragon Spear Castle or in the first part of that adventure, and now they've they've gone down from the mountain lands into the lower lands in my homebrew world, and they are trying to find out what happened to a colony that was started and has now they've lost contact with, um, and so they they. On the way down to try to find the colony, they stumble across this uh, temple that looks like it, it's been desecrated. They they found some monks that had been that had been uh, killed, and their ears had been cut off. And so they were suspecting, of course, foul play. And so they investigated this this monastery slash shrine, and they killed a bunch of things and ended this corruption. And then they left that and tried to find the colony. And when they get to the colony, um, they find that the crops have stopped uh, growing very well, and so the colony cannot sustain itself, uh, and they think it's because of the cloud cover, uh, because in my homebrew world, the the lower lands are all covered by this corruptive cloud cover, and that's why everybody moved up to the mountain lands, but they think it's time to go back down, so yada, yada, yada. Anyway, so a portion of the of the little village, the colony, has started to travel – to where they have heard that there is area that's no longer covered by clouds so that they can put the colony there because when they agreed to do the colony, they swore that they would find and found a colony that would survive and 
and stuff like that. So uh, the party is is currently in this in the area where the old colony was established, and it, there are a few people left behind there trying to um, just make a living and be there just in case someone comes looking and to keep contact. And they hadn't realized that contact had been severed, and so there's something hinky going on, and and uh, that's where we left off on there. Um, and then in my second edition game, the this is the evil game. Oh yeah, and the group, evil, evil. <laughs> and the the group uh, has has is hunting down this this paladin leader, and they have uh, they are making an assault on her monastery. Apparently, there's a lot of monasteries in my game lately. <laughs> uh, they're making an, an assault on her monastery, and they they entered and they just mowed through the first two or three uh, combatants that they found. Um, and they thought, oh, this is really easy. They they had heard all these stories and all these things that were happening, and they thought, oh, this is going to be this really powerful group of paladins and clerics, and it's going to be really hard for us. And then they go in and they they just mow through this group of of acolytes and uh and they i think by so my second edition game it's a it's a 12-hour game and i think by the time yeah but i mean we only play once a month and when we play we play we basically meet up on saturday at like one o'clock and we just play until nobody can play anymore (laughs) wow sometimes that's college yeah yeah sometimes it's 10 p.m sometimes it's 2 a.m sometimes it's 4 a.m you know yeah uh, it just kind of depends on who all's there, how that's, much everybody's drinking. And that's all that how that's how we ran it in college. Only it was like 10 a.m. to mm-hmm. when, until whenever they kicked us out of the Memorial Union. Yeah, and we did it, <laughs> but we did it every week. <laughs> right? Yeah. No. Yeah. This. Yeah. This only meets. It meets once a month, and some months we don't end up meeting. So you know, sometimes it's once every six weeks. So when we when we're there, we're we're all about business, and we're you know, I mean, we eat and we chat and all that kind of stuff too, just like regular gaming group. But we. We really try to get in at least a good solid seven, eight hours of gaming uh, in between eating and chatting. So anyway, so by the time they they mowed through this group, I think a couple of them uh, were were pretty done. They were very tired and, and, and had had a few too many, I think. And, uh, and it just sort of um, – they they sort of took it as oh well this is going to be so easy if the, everything's going to be like you know I, they just weren't in their right minds and uh, and they're now in the middle we kind of ended right at that point because I realized okay well they're not they're not thinking straight so they're not uh, they're not going to be able to do this and um, what they had captured two of these acolytes who happened to be female and uh one of them they had had uh had killed because uh she said i'm not going to tell you anything cuz you're going to kill me anyway or or you're going to torture me or whatever or she said you're going to kill me anyway and they said well if you don't tell us we're going to torture you and then we're going to kill you so it's your choice you can either have lots of pain and devastation before the end of your life or or you can you know whatever and she said well if you kill us both without torturing us i'll tell you what you want to know this is the and players are offering this to the NPC. The the this is the NPC. Yes, yeah, exactly. So and so the NPC, this acolyte woman who they had captured, says, "Okay, fine. Uh, if if you agree to kill us both, you, you know, you're not going to torture us. You're just going to kill us. Then <laughs> then I'll, then I will tell you, and then you have to kill us quickly and painlessly. You know, as painless as possible." 
This is the creepiest game I've and, ever heard. Yeah, it's it's really like it's hor- it's horrible. It's so horrible. They're they're gonna die. <laughs> I'm gonna have to kill them off because it's really yeah. bad. So uh, so one of the in one of the PCs says, "Okay, I will kill you if you." And but he he doesn't say both of you. He just says you. So then when she tells him what he wanted to know he says okay are you ready And she says no kill her first and he says no i didn't promise to kill her i only said i would kill you and so he kills her and he doesn't kill the other one so they have this they still have this hostage and they're carrying her around and she now they've tortured her okay so now she's gone catatonic she's not responding to them anymore and she wouldn't tell them what because of course then she saw them kill her sister or whatever so this is horrific but so they're carrying her around and so they go into this area where there's some tombs and there's these ghouls there, and they're fighting and everything. And there's one little sort of um, alcove where they didn't – where nothing – no ghoul came out, no skeleton came out. Nothing was there. Um, and they these ghouls had like holy symbols from this particular deity on it. And so there were all these clues and everything. So they're looking around, and they realize, oh, this this alcove didn't have anything in it. So they go to investigate the alcove, and one of the characters, one of the players says, "Wait, wait, wait! I'm gonna, you know, let me try this first because he's suspecting it's trapped." So he walks over there, and he uh, puts the woman, the captive, into the area. And I have him roll a save for her, and she fails the save, so she disappears. <laughs> so they inadvertently, <laughs> they inadvertently freed their captive. <laughs> they have no idea where she's at. <laughs> That's great. So, um, oh, what a great villain to come back! Or yeah. So then, of hero, course, they, I guess. Hero, yeah. yeah, yeah. So they they walk in, and of course, they all fail there, or they make their saves, so none of them get teleported away. <laughs> So That's they can't great. figure out where she's at. So um, I, I'm really evil, and I did that on the spur of the moment. There really was nothing in the alcove, and I was like, well, let me just see what happens because you know, <laughs> he's being an evil jerk. So if I can get him teleported away, this is what I was first thinking, then they'll have to spend their time looking for him because they won't leave without him. So I was going to have him teleport away, but he made his save, and she didn't make hers, so she got pulled. And then I thought, wow, that worked out really well. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. <laughs> so. You're, um, so that was that, yeah. You, you made a comment earlier about how you, there seem to be a lot of monasteries in, in your yeah. games these yeah. days. It yeah. reminded me um, – have you ever heard Ed Greenwood explain why there are so many gods in the Forgotten Realms? No, no. So I mean that, I probably have. So but. that no matter what, what you do in your game, there's always another evil cult to defeat. <laughs> nice. Right? Yeah. So that's yeah. why there's so yeah. many evil gods. Is it, yeah. Oh, well, we, we defeated the cult of, of, you know, of, um, of Bane. So now it's time to go off and fight the cult of Tiamat, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was one of his articles on the wizard site, wasn't it? It may have been, yeah. Always another cult or something? Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's, it's because I think that, um, you know, I'm, I'm not uber religious in real life or anything, but I find, like, theology very fascinating. Mm-hmm. I find belief systems very fascinating. And I find them to be very powerful for certain people, you know, not in the sort of magic sense, but just in the sense of some people are very empowered personally mm-hmm. by their own beliefs. And that's okay. And I find that really fascinating. I think in a fantasy world, that can manifest as actual power. And, and I think that yeah. that plays really well with fantasy. And so, for me, there's a, always a lot of shrines and monasteries because that's how people get their power because remember you know i play relatively low magic game and so the sort of 
quote unquote normal people in the game, the way they get power is by worshiping to their god to make their crops grow better and stuff like that. And right. that and they really believe in that sort of thing. So, you know, it kind of makes sense that there's temples and shrines and different things. Cuz it doesn't have to be a huge humongous, you know, building. It can just be this a small, you know, one or two room thing or a, you know, small cave or something as long as it has whatever ritualized item is necessary for that deity to notice. Right. No, no, no I I agree. I I um Probably more than I should. I gods play heavily into my games and influence events mm-hmm. um, on a you know. It's, I don't know that I've run a campaign in the last I don't know how many years where uh, somebody didn't end up talking to a god at some point. You know, mm-hmm. it's funny. I, I I'll I'll lean towards the evil gods once the PCs get strong enough to be able to do something with them. But other than that, I tend to ignore them. Yeah. I, I don't, they just don't come yeah. up. The gods in my home – it's funny because I say that all about temples and religion, but the gods in my homebrew world and in my particular world that I'm running right now in the time period that it's in, the gods are hands-off. They don't meddle in the affairs of mortals. Yes, and yeah. so they're right. sort of the, the blind, dumb, but not benevolent, but not malicious either, except for the one in, in my evil campaign. There's the one who's trying to take over and ha- yeah. get the rest of the And killed. I guess in my Eberron campaign, uh, the, the, nobody's talking to a god, right? Because that wouldn't make sense in Eberron. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. So, But one of my big fifth edition campaign concepts is all about I, – I, I've been listening to the audiobooks of the Kane Chronicles – it's um, mm-hmm. the same author of the Percy Jackson series does is doing a has doing a new series with um, dealing heavily with Egyptian gods and I'm mm. really enjoying it and like I listened to the first book with him I'm like oh my gosh I have an entire campaign based off of this book now right and there's a lot of cool stuff I want to do uh, but it, it, a lot of it involves you know um, making allies with gods that you would you know the where the part where I'm at in the book I'm reading right now is hey the good guys just allied with Set. You know the god mm-hmm. of evil. You know, right. <laughs> you know, but it totally works, and and it's interesting and it's fun, and so I, I think right. those kinds of stories are cool. But so what's interesting about having my two games is my five E game is happening in the same world, but in a different time period, uh, and so it's sort of this interesting thing where I'm I'm kind of using things they do to fill in the backstory of mm. of certain pieces for the other group, and vice versa. Like I can have the group that's in the 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 um in the past relatively speaking can have sort of these prophecies and stuff based on what we what i know happens in the other campaign meanwhile in the other campaign when they figure out something or if maybe they find some history book or some kind of scroll that has some sort of historic significance they get told about things that are happening in my other campaign is is the one with the cities on the columns is that the past the, well, those still exist, right, but, but, but yeah, that, that, that's, that's, that's in the past. past. Okay. Yeah, that's the past. Because you, so right you could almost go where the evil group is going to cause the you know destruction of the land below too, and go the other direction. But yeah, um, I thought about that, but uh, there's already an actual cosmological reason Story. for the sure. for, yeah for the thing. I think that I mean, so that's also you know I try not to um, be. Completely, you know, this is one of my DMing things. I try not to be 100% married to whatever reasoning I have <laughs> for something right. because okay. if I'm playing the game and the and the and the players 
figure out something and then they go, oh, and, it, and then it must lead to this and it must be because of this. And that's a really cool idea. Sometimes I like to just let them be right, it, even yeah. though that wasn't what I initially thought. And so uh, – because that – and then then later on when they find out, oh, we were right. Oh, and then it's a really good feeling for them. You know, It doesn't – it's no skin off my back. You know. Right. Um, so I don't, I don't sort of, I have a sort of this ethereal vision in my head about what happened and why the thing is happening the way it is. But um, who knows? What and in fact, right? my basic maybe it's a cycle. It well, so and the thing is, in my basic D and D game, some things they did actually affected, and they found out part of what happened, and and then they did some things, and it affected that timeline oh, okay. but then that campaign ended because that group of players ended and so that's sort of in the middle so the players kind of know something but their char- their characters in the current campaign don't really know that that thing happened do you have any carryover players that are in both um i didn't used to but in the next very next session that i have uh at the end of the month, we'll have sure. an, a player in it who is also in the other game. Well, and I wonder how much like the all those connections you're making between both mm-hmm. campaigns will be meaningful to somebody who's in both campaigns. Because right now, it's mostly just um, yeah, it, it's it's backstory for you, you know? right? Right. Well, and so, but I mean, the th- the reason that that's helpful is because it lets me paint the picture for them a, a lot better. And yeah, absolutely. And and all that. So it's not really like I'm not talking about oh, and I just do this like exposition of well, historically, blah blah blah. Yeah, like yeah. that's boring, right? But when they learn pieces and clues. It actually it helps me also solidify. Oh yeah, I remember. And then that happened. And then I'm you know I'm not just necessarily pulling something out of thin air. I might be telling them about something that my group did two weeks ago. You know. Yeah. That, see, that's where I struggle with the stuff that you just talked about. Right. You talked about mm-hmm. um, being open. You know, not never defining anything too carefully or whatever. And right. Being being ready to change it if they come up with a cool mm-hmm. idea. I completely agree. But on the other hand, my personal process. Is mm-hmm. such that if I don't know sort of what the NPCs are doing or the villains are doing or whatever, then I run the risk of being inconsistent, internally inconsistent, yeah. you know? So I need a fairly yeah. firm idea in my head. Otherwise, I mess up, you know? Well, or- so v- villain motivations I have down. Like right. those don't really change. The outcome or or sort of outlook of something might change, but the – you know, but like the initial at least motivation doesn't normally change. So I can be consistent in my characterization of a villain or whatever because their motivation basically stays the same. Yeah. But I just don't know whether they're going to succeed or if they succeed, how much. What that means. Yeah, and what that mean? What's that? What's that going to mean also to the other group too? Right? I don't. I don't know those things, and I'm okay not knowing those things right now. That's cool. No, I've, I, that's something I could take some inspiration from you. I think and uh, try to do some more of in my games. Well, so you know, the thing is. Um, it's a lot easier in fifth edition, certainly than it was in fourth, and certainly than it was in in third, at least at high levels in third and Pathfinder. Um, but it's very similar to how I run basic D and D. So for me, fifth and basic are very similar. That the the differences are um, the addition of the feats and skills, and then um, better healing in fifth than in basic. But otherwise, it really runs very fluidly the same or at least very similar. I don't want to say the same. It's not exactly the same because um, the, the classes and race choices are different. But you know, 
it's very similar in terms of the feel that I can evoke from it, even though the mechanics are different. So I'm able to run that sort of loosey goosey type game. And I don't mean like sandbox game because there's a definite story for my 5e group because they're the ones that thought they really loved sandbox, but then they don't do it so well. You know, there's there's either too many choices for them and they're afraid of choosing the wrong one or they just don't know what to do. So they get analysis paralysis. So I have to have a more linear story for them. But I can still run the game fairly loose because if they then get some – if they follow some red herring or follow some, you know, something they get in their mind that I wasn't necessarily expecting, I just go with it and I let them do it. Um, and so I can be pretty flexible and that's really easy and basic and it's really easy in fifth, not easy in fourth or third. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's part of that is just getting used to the new sort of flexibility of the system and how it works and being able to play with it a little bit more. Cool. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing how things go uh, and where it all comes together next month. Yeah, me too. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's uh, an hour in, 55 minutes now. So I want to thank you guys for joining us. I want to thank everybody for listening us, listening to us, listening us, I'm, listening words, us, words, <laughs> uh, whatever. I need to get off this call so I can go back to my readings. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so I'll talk to you guys later. And yep. everybody say goodbye. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye.